Good morning. It's a privilege to be here again with you for this next uh, installment in our series, Flight Plan. And uh, last Sunday, we discussed the value of having a passport. And we discovered the reason for that is because a passport is a legal and official document that verifies both your identity and your citizenship. And this guarantees your safe passage and your protection as you travel from your home country to another. And if you're traveling internationally, it's really important because they won't let you board the airplane without it. Now, in our series, Flight Plan, we discovered that when we become followers of Christ, we actually receive a permanent passport. In fact, we learned that we have permanent, non-expiring citizenship in heaven. We have permanent passports. That's why we all filled out our name on our own passports last week that appeared in our worship folders. They looked like this. Now, when we were done with filling those out, we had something that looked like this. We filled out our own name in the space that says name, And in the space that says expiration date, we filled out the word never. Never. And that signified that we have permanent passports as citizens of heaven that never expire. And even though this is a fancy pretend piece of paper, we know that this is real. We know that when we have a a permanent passport from heaven, we have ultimate security, acceptance, and hope. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, I know that we've got some extra copies of these in in the back and at the guest services table. If you want to go ahead after the service is over this morning, go grab your own. Go fill out your name. Go fill out your expiration date, which is never in your own passport. For those of us who were here last week, I hope that you held on to yours, and, and I hope that you keep it as a reminder to reflect on what that means, that that you have permanent citizenship in heaven. Now this morning, we're going to shift our focus to the actual flight. And in talking about flight, and talking about airplanes and flight plans, I can't help but think of my son Luke. See, ever since he was a toddler, he has been fascinated by aircraft airplanes, and everything flight. And we've lived here in Walla Walla since he was three. And we lived near the airport. So every time you, you'd, uh, we could hear it whenever uh, a plane would take off or land at the Walla Walla airport. And when he would hear it, no matter what he was doing in the house, he would stop and he would run out the door so he could look up and see it pass by in the air. Every time. I remember a time when he was only four, and we were on a flight, and he was sitting next to me in the window seat, and he said, there's a plane out there. And I looked, and I thought, hmm? I don't see anything. And I looked a little harder, and what do you know? There's one way, way out there. It was just a speck. I mean, you'd almost need a telescope to see it. The boy's got an eye for airplanes. 
And in fact, every time we would travel to a big city like uh, Portland or, or Boise or Seattle and we would drive near the airport and you'd see the airplanes that were on approach, he could tell you exactly which airline it was and what kind of aircraft it was. When to us, it was nothing more than just a big speck in the sky. And as you might guess, his lifelong dream is to be a pilot. And see, there he is uh, after a flight from Toronto to Chicago on Air Canada, Boeing 737. The pilot let him sit down at the controls and wear his hat. Isn't that cool? And as someone who dreamed of being a pilot, he wanted to dress up as a pilot when they had the the trick-or-treating that they have downtown several years ago. And so when he got downtown with the trick-or-treating, he wasn't really interested in the, uh, the candy. Instead, he wanted Starbucks. Because isn't that what pilots do? Don't you see them walking through the airport in their uniforms, rolling their roller bags, and sipping on a Frappuccino? If it was what a pilot was going to do, he wanted to do it. Now, he loves airports. He even loves the smell of the airport. He loves the sights of the airport. And the fav- his favorite sound in the world is the sound of luggage rolling across the floor. So now he's in Civil Air Patrol. And he's been in his glories. Because he's actually gotten to ride with pilot trainers on these Cessna 182s and actually take the controls of the airplane. That's him on his first orientation flight. You can see that big smile on his face, if, if you could see it close enough. He was getting to, to fly, and actually fly the, the plane when they took off from Ephrata and were flying over Grand Coulee Dam. You know, I'm not really sure where he gets it from. There was a time when I wanted to be a pilot. But it turns out that my eyes aren't good enough to even fly Army helicopters. And that was disappointing for a time, but I really think that that might have been God looking out for me. Because I have found that over time... I hate flying. (laughs) In fact, I am what you would call a classic white-knuckle flyer. You know, you have to love it. When you're on a flight, in the middle of the flight, and the pilot comes over the intercom and says, Well, folks, there's a line of thunderstorms in front of us. Unfortunately, they're 50,000 feet high and hundreds of miles wide. So make sure that your seatbelts are fastened and hold on. It's about to get bumpy. I remember when I was on a flight between Chicago and Seattle that literally scared me to death. During that flight, we started to hit a little bit of turbulence. And then, all of a sudden, without warning, we went into a free fall. Boom. And then again, boom. And I know that if someone was standing at that moment, they would have hit the ceiling, knocked themselves out. And and usually when you start to hit some rough air, the pilot will come on and say, well, folks, uh, we have a few bumps ahead. Go ahead and check those seatbelts, make sure they're fastened. They may even ask the flight attendants to be seated for their safety. This time, the pilots came over in a panic and said, flight attendants, take your seats and hold on for the rest of the flight. Wow. 
my prayer life has never been stronger. Lord Jesus, please help us. I thought the oxygen masks were about to deploy from the ceiling. And I have never seen so many people actually use their flight sickness bags at the same time. And ever since that flight, whenever I'm on a flight and I feel just the smallest little bump, I'm a big sissy. I grab on those armrests for dear life. You know, I've actually had to be comforted before by children. (laughs) And when we land, I am never so thankful to get off that plane and get on the ground. And I feel like I should just kiss the ground when I get there. But in my defense, flying isn't as fun as it used to be. I mean, you have to get manhandled as you go through security at the airport, and then you're moved from one place to another through the airport like your livestock. And then you get to your gate, and you have to go down the jetway and find your way to your seat. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how people are so eager to get through the gate and have the flight, you know, flight people check your ticket just so that they can rush down to the jetway and stand in a narrow little corridor in another line. And then finally, you walk through the door of the airplane and you've got to find your way to your seat. And the first seats that you come by, they don't look so bad. That's not bad. That's because those are the first class seats. In fact, some of the seats now, they look like recliners. This picture is actually taken by Annette from her cell phone. She actually flew on this flight in October. And I guess in Canada, business class, which was the only seat that was available on that flight for her, is actually first class. So she got lucky. But for the rest of us, that's not where we get to sit. Because our tickets, they say, economy seating, coach class. And what we see looks more like this. And it only gets worse from there, (laughs) unless you have a tiny body, because otherwise you feel like you're sitting right on top of each other. And you're so close to the person next to you that you have to negotiate over who gets to put their arm on the armrest. You have to negotiate sometimes for who gets to put their leg here or there because of the baggage that's underneath. And then in the middle of the flight, the person in front of you reclines their seat all the way back so that they're sitting in your lap, basically. And then there's the infamous middle seat. Like our friend Steve Martin in the classic movie, Planes and Trains and Automobiles. Sitting so close to your seatmates that you don't have room to move a muscle. Now, to get into the spirit of this this morning, and I hope you'll play along, if you're not sitting next to anyone this morning, maybe you might consider moving your seat. And if you're actually with family or friends or people you trust, not strangers, go ahead and lean on each other. Go ahead and lean up on each other for a few seconds here. And if you're not sitting next to somebody you trust, then just... Sit up straight, pull your legs together, and pull your knees back so that you, 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 it's almost like the person in front of you and the chair in front of you is leaning back into your lap. Just experience that for a second. I see you guys are so eager to play along with this. All right, if, if you've done it, go ahead and you can, you can recover to your original positions in first-class seating. Now, anyone who's been on a crowded flight 
for a long time can attest to how uncomfortable it can be at some points. A flight that's four hours or longer can almost feel like a year on the ground. It doesn't feel like it's ever going to end. You see, on a flight, where you sit has a major impact on the way that you see this experience and the way that you behave and respond in this experience. But in all reality, even a long flight doesn't really last that long. It doesn't last forever. And in fact, it's so short, really, that for most of us, as soon as we have gotten off the plane, we've forgotten all about it. Because the most important part and the best part of flight is getting there. Now, in the next section of our passage in Romans chapter 8, Paul has something similar to say about the flight plan of our lives. So we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 25. So that's Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. And you can go ahead and get there on your favorite device or on your own copy of God's Word or just follow along as we read. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, Paul is writing here in Romans chapter 8. And he's writing and addressing people who are already believers in Jesus people who've already made a decision to follow Jesus. And he's writing this to strengthen them and to encourage them. He's telling them that as hard as life can be at some points, it doesn't even compare to how awesome our life will be when we get to heaven. In fact, he says that compared to how great our future will be, it's actually going to make us forget about how hard life was in this particular life. And he goes on to tell us that all of creation is literally sitting on the edge of its seat in eager expectation for the day when Jesus will come back to this world and transform it into heaven. And last week, we learned that heaven is actually the uniting of this physical world that we see around us 
with the spiritual world that is perfect. So Paul is telling us that no matter how much we might endure in this life, whether it's suffering or pain or misery, it's temporary. And compared to the greatness and to the foreverness of heaven, it's just like a short plane ride sitting in coach class. When we get there, it will be so awesome that we'll actually forget everything about this life that has ever disappointed us, that has ever tormented us, that has ever persecuted us or rejected us or even hurt us. We'll forget all about our troubles. We'll forget all about our pain. We'll forget about our deepest longings. And we'll even forget about our mistakes, our sin. And the sheer greatness of heaven when we get there will make us want to kiss the ground, not because of how terrible this life was, but because of how great and wonderful our future will be. So for your notes, if you're following along this morning, our big idea is that nothing that we endure in this life compares to where we are going. Nothing that we endure in this life compares to where we are going. On the flight plan of our lives, there are no bumps, no rough air, no discomfort that will be worth even mentioning compared to all of our hopes being fulfilled when we get to our ultimate destination. Now, they say that all analogies break down at some point, and this one is no exception. When Paul was writing to the believers in Rome, they were beginning to feel the impact of persecution. In other words, they were experiencing real suffering. You see, not long after he wrote this letter, believing in Jesus or being caught going to church could land you with, in 12 rounds in the Colosseum with a, a lion or a tiger or another wild animal. And ever since then, believers have been persecuted and put to death. In some cases, by being drowned or beaten or even burned alive. So historically speaking, we have it pretty good. And we know this because what can trouble us and bend us out of shape is when the cable goes out during the big game. Or when the Wi-Fi starts acting up and it keeps us from watching our favorite show on Netflix in the bedroom on our smartphone. And for the most part, those of us here in North America can't really appreciate the kind of suffering that takes place even today in the world. Frankly, in the flight plan of our lives, most of us are sitting in first class. And in truth, what other people are experiencing around the world today, it can't even be captured by the analogy of sitting in coach class, where people don't have enough to eat, or they don't have access to drinkable water, or they're living in unthinkable or unthinkably unhealthy conditions, or living under the thumb of a brutal dictator or of evil, especially in places around the world where people have been tortured 
or murdered. All for believing in God, for believing in Jesus. Now, it's not well reported here in our news. But the last few years have actually been the bloodiest in all of history. When it comes to the sheer number of people who have been killed for believing in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we're, we don't hear about that because we're far more concerned about other things like who the next president will be here. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize anything that you might be going through or have gone through. But Paul was. In fact, he was trying to minimize what people who have been enduring real suffering were going through. Unthinkable, unimaginable suffering. And his message to us is the same. No matter if we're talking about being persecuted and put to death for believing in Jesus Christ, or if we're talking about the hardships, the hurts, and the pain that are just part of the normal human condition, he would tell us the same thing. You're simply on a short flight to paradise. And whether you're sitting in first class or in business class or in coach class, none of it holds a candle to where you're going and where you're going to live forever. So what can we learn from what Paul is teaching us? In your notes under the takeaway application, the first thing that we see is that hardships in this life are temporary. Hardships in this life are temporary. When you're in the middle of a struggle, time seems to stand still. Just like being on a miserably uncomfortable flight, what is just hours in the air can feel like months on the ground. Now, I know that there are those who are going through hard times. There are those both here and around the world who are enduring real suffering. But what this passage tells us is that hard times are temporary. They won't last. And in all reality, they don't last very long. Yet heaven is forever. It will never end. And when we have been there just a week, probably none of us will even remember the hardships and the pain that we went through in this life let alone when we've been there a year, 10 years, 10,000 years, and beyond. And that should give us perspective. So let's remember, we'll be landing soon. And on that note, and this is the second point in, in your notes, life is hard, but we have ultimate hope. Life is hard, but we have ultimate hope. Now again, I don't want to minimize anything that anyone here is going through or has gone through. And in fact, when Paul was writing this, he pointed something out. He agreed that life is tough, life is hard, and we know that to be true in our own experience. We know that there are financial troubles, we know that there are relationship problems, marital problems. We know that there are estranged relationships with family, with children, with parents. We know 
that there really is true suffering that's happening around the world today. And in fact, Paul says that all of creation has been groaning in this pain throughout all of human history. And that's because at the very core of this world and in the deepest parts of our own souls, it's absolutely known everywhere that this isn't it. That this isn't as good as it gets. But through Jesus Christ, we have proof. We have proof not only that something better does exist, but that we can have it. And and in fact, if you've trusted in Jesus, then you already have it. You're on the plane, and you're in the air. And you'll be starting your descent soon. It's a fact. That's why we have hope. Hope that's more than just a mere wish. It's an expectation in faith in a future that has already been prepared for us. And Paul tells us that it's not more of the same that we see down here in this life. It's so much greater than anything that we could possibly imagine. So much so that he says that hoping for what we already know and what we already see, that's not even worth hoping for by comparison to what we don't know but is in store for us. And knowing that should give us the kind of perspective in our third point that says that we can endure hardship with an eternal perspective. We can endure hardship with an eternal perspective. Knowing that we have ultimate hope gives us the right perspective. We don't have to fret and worry as if the things that we're going through now are going to last forever. We don't have to worry that we're going to be sitting in the middle seat in coach class forever. Now, in my life, I've been on many flights. I've been in positions at work that have required me to travel frequently. And also having family in eastern Canada means lots of flights to see family. And most of those have been in coach class. And many of those have been in the dreaded middle seat. Some of them have actually been in the seats that are right in front of the lavatories so that you can't lean back and you have even less room. But there were a couple of times when I got to fly first class. That was because they canceled one of my flights and they had to rebook me on a flight that didn't have any seats left in coach class. So they put me in first class. And I can tell you, life is much different in first class. You know, the seats are actually quite comfortable. I mean, it's like being in an easy chair or or a recliner. And (laughs) they have room for all your baggage. You don't have to worry about it being on the other side of the plane from you or having, being forced to check it at the gate, which means it ain't getting there with you. And the flight attendants, they wait on you hand and foot. Before you even take off, they offer you a hot towel so you can dab your face and refresh and relax. They come through frequently asking, would you like something to drink? Would you like something to eat? And it's all included. And if that weren't enough, they ask you 
what your choice for dinner will be. I have a choice? I get dinner? Yes, would you like the um, crust, or uh, I'm sorry, the herb-crusted chicken with roasted red potatoes? Or would you like the roast pork tenderloin with mashed sweet potato casserole? And then they serve it to you on a bamboo tray with a cloth napkin. And you get silverware that's not in that plastic pack. It's actually real metal silverware. I mean, can they do that? Even after 9-11? Literally, they offer you something, some luxury every 20 minutes at least. Movies, newspapers, magazines, snacks. And when you're comfortable and you're watching your movie and, and you've got plenty of leg room and you're savoring your pork tenderloin and your butterscotch brownie with whipped cream, you don't even realize that you just passed a little bit of rough air or turbulence. Honestly, you're treated so nicely that the flight seems to go by in just a couple of minutes. And the problem is, once you get there, you don't want to get off. Do you know that's one of the problems in our own lives? Experiencing the pleasures of this life can do that to us. Some of us in this world have life pretty good. And that can distract us from our ultimate identity and our ultimate destination as followers of Christ. We don't want to get off. Or we simply don't believe that life could be or will be better. Some of us are so scared of leaving our pretty good lives or even our reasonably tolerable lives that we don't want to get off the plane. You see, the gift of coach class is that for most of us, you don't want to stay on that plane forever. You, don't, you want to get there. You want to be there. And the hardships and the sufferings in this life, they fuel the hope for something better. And the best news is, we don't have to live without hope of never getting there. Because of what Jesus did in enduring the most brutal form of suffering and hardship that was really supposed to be for us, we can trust that no matter what we face in this life, He has destined us for a future in paradise, in heaven, forever. And knowing that should change our perspective, the way that we look at life. It should change the way that we live and change the way that we behave in this life. You see, we can now live confidently. We can live to make things more bearable and enjoyable for the people that are around us. And we can share hope with them that we have, knowing that on our flight plan, in the flight plan of our life, pain and suffering is temporary. We can endure it with an eternal perspective that focuses on where we're going. Now, the question that each of us needs to ask ourselves in the concluding thoughts here is how does it impact your perspective to know that your flight plan will arrive at an amazing destination? And then how might knowing that any suffering that you might endure here in this life change the way that you approach the flight plan that you're currently on? This morning we have an opportunity to reflect on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We'll be sharing communion together as a faith family. 
Now, Jesus ordained this practice before he left the earth and ascended into heaven. We know this as communion or the Lord's Supper. And in partaking, we take time to remember and reflect on what he did in paying the price for our sins. We reflect and we remember that he suffered. The Bible tells us that he suffered and he was tempted in every way, just like we are in this life. Yet for him, he was perfect and without sin. And we commemorate his suffering as we share the bread and the juice of communion this morning. However, we don't just remember that he suffered. We remember that through his suffering, he rescued us and he secured our future. So as we share communion this morning, let's reflect not only on his death on the cross, but what that death on the cross and his suffering means for us. He has secured our flight plan. And because of him, we will land securely in heaven. So, if I could get Micah to come forward again. And also, if I could ask the gentlemen who are going to be helping us serve communion this morning, come forward. as they're coming forward and moving into a place. At Trinity, there are only two qualifications for sharing at the Lord's table. The first is that it's for followers of Jesus, people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. So that means if you're here for your very first Sunday or you've been here for years, if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, then you're most welcome to enjoy the elements this morning. And if you haven't decided to follow Jesus... We're really glad that you're here. And we hope that you'll take the next few moments to process what's been presented this morning. And as the elements are passed by, you can just let them pass right by you. No one here will think anything of that. The second qualification is that it's not only for believers, but for believers who are living in alignment with God's word and his plan for our lives. Now, none of us are perfect. And we all mess up from time to time. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who might be living in knowing rebellion to what they know is God's plan for their life, what God's word tells them is for their life. And they don't intend to stop. And if that's you this morning, the best thing that you could do is just sit this one out and instead take this time to reflect on that, talk to God, and do business with that this morning. So as we get started, Mike is going to continue playing And this is for you and you alone personally to reflect on what Jesus has done and what that means for you and your future. So as the bread and the juice are passed out, you don't have to wait on anyone else. When you're ready, you can go ahead and eat the bread and drink the juice. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you that you took on the suffering that belonged to us And because of that, because of what you did, you secured our future. Lord, help us this morning as we reflect on that truth in gratitude, but also in hope, knowing that our future is bright and secure because of what you've done for us. Lord, I ask for each person as they process that this morning, that they would 
Let that soak in in a way that impacts the way that they leave here today with that ultimate hope, security, and acceptance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.